Welcome to EBN Podcast Series. I'm Dr. Calvin Morley. I'm one of the associate editors for EBN Journal and also a senior lecturer in public health at the University of East London. Today with me is Professor Amanda Henderson from Princess Alexandra Hostel in Queensland, Australia. In this podcast, Professor Henderson will discuss with me, Dr. Morley, her commentary for EBN on a study by Nancy Matthew Mage and colleagues. This paper focused on supporting the uptake of nursing guidelines, what you really need to know to move nursing guidelines into practice. Thank you and welcome, Professor Henderson. Firstly, can I ask you to tell us about your background and current position? Thanks, Dr. Morley. Um, Yes, I'm a nursing director at Princess Alexandra Hospital, as you've identified. I've been in nursing for 30 years now, and I've been a midwife for most of that period as well. I'm currently working in a nursing practice development unit um, in the hospital. I have been within Queensland Health, which is a bit like the NHS for the state of Queensland in Australia, and I've been in a couple of the major hospitals, and I've been working in nursing director roles for about 20 years now in education and research, so uh, looking very much at development of um, practice and improving practice in clinical contexts, and I also work closely with the academic uh, sector, I have a professorial appointment with Griffith University. Okay, thank you. That that really sets the context for the paper we're going to be looking at today. Um, I thought we could start off by discussing best practice guidelines. Um, Professor Henderson, can you tell us what they are and why they are so important in areas of health, particularly in your area as a director of nursing? How do you see this operationalizing? Best practice guidelines, they're a little bit of a buzzword at the moment. They're used in business and, of course, they're um, widely used in healthcare as well. The intent is that there is an enormous amount of research out there that is undertaken, but they're not always adopted into practice. And so the intent is that people actually analyse broad areas of research and identify consistencies and build consistent recommendations. This is ideally meant to assist the clinician, so the clinician then doesn't actually have to go to the research and read extensive research to arrive at what good practice is. And and just one little thing on the importance of, of, of good practice in areas of health, particularly from your role as a director of nursing. Do you mind just sharing a little bit more on that with us? So they are very important because what they mean is that uh, if people pick up the best practices, they can improve health and health quality and patient outcomes. So that is certainly the intent, is for them to be readily adopted in practice. And so the notion of actually developing the guidelines from the research ideally assists clinicians because, um, and I think Trish Greenow comments that research evidence is a bit like a block of concrete and so the best practice guidelines is about separating that concrete so it can be meaningful and used in practice situations. Great, thank you. The paper we're looking at and you've made a wonderful commentary for us on EBN Journal about this, use a grounded theory approach. I was wondering if you can tell us what you thought of this methodology they used and what were the strengths and weaknesses of their chosen methodology in looking at best practice guidelines. Grounded theory is excellent is that it doesn't come with preconceptions. So the value of the grounded theory approach is it's open, it's exploratory, and it um, allows for the whole breadth of a situation to be considered. 
um, it is about generating a theory and so it's about exploring as much uh, information um, and uh, activity to identify what it is that they were looking for in this particular study. Um, I actually thought they used it well. They identified key stakeholders. They undertook extensive interviews and they did a little bit of sort of um, analysis of situations in the field. One of the difficulties with grounded theory is that you never really know when to stop. There is a point called saturation where you keep getting the same data, but that's sort of a very academic situation because you don't know if you're going to find new data if you um, continued on. But in this context, I think they uh, used it very well. Yes. The authors collected the data and their whole study center was multi-site when we look at their paper. Um, what are your opinion on how these centers were implementing their, their best practice guidelines? Have you got any thoughts on that? From the particular study that they did, you got a, a bit of a sense of how the centers actually implemented it. Mm -hmm. What you really got a sense for was the more the intangible aspects of what are important in the implementation of guidelines. I was looking at that, you know, they had three centers and one of those centers actually said, well, we do it already. And they, they, they assessed their staff by doing a tick-box exercise online. And if their staff were doing certain things, they said they were already implementing the best practice guidelines. What I think I was looking for is, you know, for your comment on how different units as such or different wards or departments actually have different ways and methods of implementing it. In the particular study, they found that the particular organisation that you're referring to that commented that they were implementing it weren't in fact implementing it nearly as effectively as they were. So I actually think their study was quite insightful in that it highlighted that anomaly where often those organisations that think they're the most progressive aren't always doing what they think they're doing. And I found that particularly revealing because we do get quite used to believing what organisations think that they're doing. In some ways, it was probably quite confronting. Yes, yes, I do agree with you. What do you think is the role of the clinician or how do you think clinicians can begin to contribute to implementation of best practice guidelines? You know, as a director of nursing for a hospital, how would you like to see your clinicians and practitioners contribute to implementing best practice guidelines? Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually think they play a really pivotal role because I think what happens with best practice guidelines is it's a little bit like policy. A policy mm -hmm. statement is there and that people need to read it and they need to interpret it. They need to identify what is meaningful about it and then they need to build it into what it means for their context. And this particular review was very informative in that it, identified the key role of leaders, of middle managers, of supporting the idea, of uh, role modelling and it brought that notion that the leaders actually need to support the staff to do it, that it's not an automatic thing. Staff don't just 
take on an uncritical adoption because there's a piece of paper or a directive to say that this um, needs to happen. So it really identified those contextual elements that are really important if the best practice guidelines are going to make a, a meaningful contribution to practice rather than just the tick box. Sure. Another question I wanted to ask you is, you know, you're in Australia, I'm here in the UK, and this paper we're looking at, this study, this review took place in Canada. Um, how much do you think the setting can influence best practice guidelines? And also my add-on question to that is, um, do you think these authors' findings are transferable to other countries' stroke settings as such? I actually think there is strong applicability to Westernised countries such as uh, Canada, United States, a lot of the European countries, um, Australia, England, because we have similar ways of, of the way people practice. While there are nuances in the culture, there is a similar approach to how we go about things. And what, while it was actually set in Canada, what really came to light was that there are microcultures within a broader health system and I actually think the notion of microcultures built on groups of people in organisations is is representative of nursing in many different places and so I feel that while the actual microcultures that they were exploring in Canada may not be exactly the same as what we're going to find in England or in Australia, the notion that there are particular elements or there's particular activities or um, dominant practices or attitudes or whatever, I actually think is very indicative of um, many different places. What do you think, Professor, are the main implications of the findings of this study for practice, education and research? I think that the, um, what was so enlightening with this piece of work is that it really drew, drew out the social and contextual elements around how you successfully implement research findings into practice. We often focus on the research, um, how strong the research is. We identify the context, whether it's relevant, whether it's applicable. But there were some social factors and elements such as trust that we don't routinely look at that were highlighted nurses and their emotional responses to taking a risk because nurses obviously did feel that changing practice was a risk and they needed to feel supported by the organisation. And so I think these findings are fairly fundamental to the way most nurses behave and the way they operate. And so from that perspective, I felt that it made a very much a valuable contribution to the literature. And most particularly valuable because it was bringing to light those non-tangible aspects that so much in the research literature are discredited because we can't measure them, they don't have numbers, they're, they're largely invisible. So from that perspective, I think it's a valuable piece of work. Yes, I, I do agree with you with that point as well. And also the fact that, um, you know, you raise that nurses need to be supported and feel supported when they're going to implement a piece of practice and guideline that changes practice and improves it, hopefully. And uh, we need to have that support mechanism there for um, clinical practitioners. 
But now we're coming to the end of the interview, uh, Professor Henderson, and I want to thank you so much for your time and giving us a wonderful insight and commentary for this piece of work we've been discussing. Your final thoughts and message, what would it be to our listeners that they can take away from this research? I think that one of the key factors is that if there is some really salient findings that they want to implement in practice, whether they're initiating it or whether they're part of a team, is that real um, positive reinforcement about when people are trying to make a difference and which is really what you were saying, how important that support is and that we need to find ways of making that very visible because we want to reinforce those behaviours that are demonstrating that we're adopting the research in practice. So I think if people could think about how, how they can actually make a difference because this particular paper focus on the importance of the very everyday practices that are really significant in making that change. Okay. Again, thanks to Professor Amanda Hedison from Princess Alexandra Hostel in Queensland, Australia, for sharing her thoughts with us on the paper by Nancy Matthew Mage. I'm Calvin Morley from EBN Journal. Thank you again for listening.